Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast and Radio Extravaganza. Uh, coming, in, uh, coming to you, as always, live from the stratosphere now that we are uh, all about the country. I'm your host, Nate Larkin, here in Franklin, Tennessee, joined by uh, the co-host from the left coast, Aaron Porter. Uh, and Aaron, you're mobile, aren't you? I am mobile. I am driving. I am coming up on your favorite little Dutch town. Can you name it? Solvang. No, you that's... got it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Except it's not Dutch. It's Danish. Oh man. Yeah, come See, on, come was, on. That was a double test. Dutch, <laughs> <laughs> Danish. What's the difference? Yeah. <laughs> Love Solvang. Are you headed north or south? I am headed south. I am going down to uh, teach again at that college, doing the oh. solar architecture stuff for their um, missional church class or something like that. Okay, fantastic. So they allow you to mess with the minds of young people. Yeah, and then go <laughs> uh, grab a beer at the Mexican restaurant afterwards with them. Oh, so that's we had, we had a meeting after the meeting last week with whoever wanted to come. Yeah, and and how many? What percentage of the class took you up on the invitation? Uh, I had five guys uh, out of I mean, fifteen in the class. So okay, we had a all right. So a third of them, a third of them went with the prof for the meeting after the meeting. That's awesome. That and is had, awesome. It was called a, a Corona, a Corona Rita, where it's a margarita with a special. Oh, yeah. You've seen these where the Corona's upside down in it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't say that I enjoyed it so much as I was fascinated by it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My my reaction exactly to the Corona Rita. Uh, and uh, we got Newton with us. How you doing, Newton? I'm doing great. How are you? You know, not bad for an old man. And a little bit oh, older yeah. than I... And a little well, bit older. Yeah, yeah. Happy birthday. <laughs> Is today Thank your you. birthday, Louis? Well, my birthday was yesterday. Uh, wow! Yeah, and I celebrated with a nap. So uh, that, that'll give you an, that'll give you an idea how old I am. <laughs> well, I, I got you a present. I drank it last night. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, fantastic! You passed the sixty-five, right, Nate? You're at sixty-six now. For all the listeners that are wondering. Oh, come on, please. Don't put me there. Don't put me there. I'm I'm approaching <laughs> I I'm approaching retirement age fast enough without you pushing me. No, I turned uh, I'm fifty seven now. Fifty seven years old. Going on uh I, I don't know, thirteen emotionally, I think. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh yeah. Uh, but we uh, we're having a good time here. Allie has wrapped up her cancer treatment, so she's just in the process of getting herself back together physically and emotionally. And big battle right now is sleep. So uh, so a nap is a is a good thing, a big thing. We actually had a, it was a, a wonderful day. How about how about you, Mondo? You guys are still packing up like crazy for the big move, aren't you? Yeah, man, we're just packing like like nuts, nutty people over here, man. And uh, you know, uh, it's but we're doing good though. You know, I'm I'm the kind of person I really don't like to ask friends to help me move. 
Because I think mm-hmm. that's like you don't ask you don't ask friends. That's because moving, no one likes moving. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. So yeah. Yeah, you know, so I, I try to be as considerate and just do everything on my own. And so we were trying to do, do the responsible thing and, and, you know, take like a month to pack the whole house. And so this weekend we'll, we'll be packing the last little room, and we are ready to rock and roll. We've got four days until it's time to actually go. But everything will be in boxes, and yeah. big stuff will be ready to go, and there will be not no nothing left out, man. So we're, we're tired. We're exhausted because, you know, there's still life going on in the midst of packing. Yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, we're, we're doing good, man. I had a had an interesting uh, meeting this morning with a group of men that I, ran, I met at a, at a coffee shop. Uh, I didn't know them, and we actually ended up having like a little Samson meeting about marriage and divorce. Oh wow! And uh, yeah, man, and it was it was three guys that I met literally this morning, and it got pretty deep, man. It was it was pretty nice. I have to share more details maybe a later podcast. We can talk more about that, but. But uh, it's definitely podcast worthy, so we'll have to get into that in more detail. But because it's kind of lengthy, but uh, yeah, yeah. Nate, are stuff. we letting Mondo get away with the "I don't like asking men to help me move" thing? <laughs> and, I, and I've been working for like a month so that I didn't have to ask men to help me. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Buddy. Well, you know, if people if people offer, that's totally cool. You know. Well, I just don't like being that guy, you know, because people always set you up. They'll say, hey, so what are you doing Saturday? Yeah. You know, and then you, and then they'll say, oh, well, nothing. Oh, well, Grace, can you come help me move? You know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I, I, I yeah. don't know, Mondo. If I was around and you didn't ask me to help you move, I would feel slighted by a brother. <laughs> okay. Well, I need more, I need more friends like you around. <laughs> well, don't get me wrong. I would also resent you for it, but I would feel quite Don't get me in because I hate yeah. helping people yeah. move. But I hear you, man. Just, I appreciate that. Just, I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, man. So yeah, all, all things are good, guys. All right, well, good. Say, I got a, I got a boatload of uh, birthday wishes yesterday, and. Uh, you know, I got them by Facebook, and I got them on my phone, and it was all – they were wonderful. Hundreds of people saying happy birthday, some nice things. There were a couple that stood out. Here is one of my very favorite messages. showed up yesterday from uh, my buddy Matt Melanson. He says, happy birthday, buddy. Just so you know, we here at the Spearfish Samson Society – that's up in South Dakota – refer to you fondly as the great and ominous one or the holy pinata or the Great Pumpkin, or as that one guy. Uh, he, he goes on to write, um, Our Samson group tailed off last winter, and we got it back going a month ago. Had a serious sit-down about commitment, digging in, really getting our shit out, and working toward full disclosure and real brotherhood. This first month back has already been our best yet. It's awesome. So I love getting reports like that from the field, from uh, Samson guys. And by the way, for those of you who are listening, you want to give us a little peek into what's going on in your group, we'd love to hear from you. Just uh, shoot us a line you, uh, at the Facebook page or hit us at samsonpodcast at gmail.com or at piratemonkradio at gmail.com and let us know what you're, uh, what's going on. And speaking and of to that, address it, remember to address it to the great pumpkin. Yes, exactly. 
I like it. Good job, Spear Head Fisherman. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> well, we got a little more mail. We'll open the mailbag in just a minute when we return on the Pirate Monk Podcast.
And we are back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Do you know who you are? That great question that the Jars of Clay asked a few years ago. And this album that should have won Album of the Year, that didn't, although they did win Rock Group of the Year with Album of the Year the following year at the Dove Awards. And Newton, you're a, you're a kind of a music guy. What do you think of that song by the yeah. Jars? That's good. Uh, I I kind of go back and forth, not so much on the guys, but some some of the records grab me more than others. But I tell you, I I cannot quit listening to their to their new record, Inland. Um, oh. I started. I, I got a, a sneak preview of it on um, on the Relevant Magazine uh, website, and I think in the last couple of weeks since it's come out, I bet I'm listening to it two or three times a week. Um, really. I think it's their best record. It's awesome. Um, yeah. And I love saying that I don't think it's a Christian band record. I think Christian music kind of sucks. <laughs> um, but I think it, it's a killer record. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's really good. Well, we're so going to have... Really, really good songwriting, really well put together. Mm. And this is their first so independent, different independent record. Than the, yeah, so what makes it different than the uh, Christian music that you feel like uh, sucks? Um, there's no answers in it. That's the, that's the best part. I think I mean, there are very few, um, I guess, Christian artists that leave things unanswered. Mm. Yeah. So it's just and, you sit with it. Yeah, and this is one of those records where it's just a bunch of guys in the middle of it. Yeah. Um, kind of just figuring it out as they go. And I don't mean the music figuring it out as they go. It's not jazz. Um, but I mean... <laughs> figuring out life as they go and uh, it's just it's really pretty and, and messy that way it's it's really good yeah um, it's got got the flavor yeah. of samson meeting doesn't it uh yeah a little bit maybe <laughs> yeah yeah uh we're gonna have to get dan and steve back on the show here to talk about the new record um in the meantime why don't we open up the mailbag uh another one of our Good friends, the musician Scott Dente was on a couple of weeks ago. I oh shoot, it might be four weeks ago now, talking about uh, ushering young men into manhood. We got this letter in from Jeff Raymond, Nate, and the Pirate Monk podcast team. Great interview and discussion with Scott Dente. Wow, we'll listen to that a couple more times. Loved all the in-depth thinking and processing and discussing. My heart was moved deeply when Scott talked about always being there at the fire for his son. God had something for me in that. Thanks, guys. And thanks uh, thanks to you, Jeff. Appreciate the note. Okay, here's another letter. Hi, guys. Greetings from Birmingham, Alabama. I'm looking for some insight on something, and God has led me to ask for your thoughts. I've struggled with sex addiction for most of my adult life and have been working a 12-step program for the past four years. For the first few years of my recovery journey, I had an excellent relationship with my sponsor. We connected. Unfortunately, he moved away, and I have lost contact with him. I then found a temporary sponsor who is a nice guy, but I just haven't formed a true connection with him. We've both made efforts to forge a deeper relationship, but unfortunately, that just has not happened. Over the past year, some friends from church and I have started a Samson group, 
And I feel very connected to these guys. I have a very strong relationship with these fellows, and I'm, quote, working my way around the mountain, unquote, with my Silas. I've recently found that I'm relying on my Silas more than my sponsor when I'm struggling. He and the other guys know my entire story. My question is this. Is having a Silas enough, or do I truly need an SA sponsor as well? There you go. I think I think you should be the first one to respond to that, Nate. Okay, yeah. Well, I'd love to step in on that. You know, I love the idea of, especially early in recovery, uh, taking kind of a cocktail approach to recovery and getting all the help we possibly can get. Um, I, you know, God used 12-step recovery to save my life. And I, I as, a, as another uh, sex addict, in that regard, I share this guy's story. Um, I, you know, I am so grateful for, for SA and for uh, that long tradition and all that accumulated wisdom around uh, the 12 steps, the journey toward recovery. And so um, when I have the privilege of fishing guys out of the soup, and I get to do that on a very regular basis, if their story is one of sex addiction, um, I try to steer them in a – I certainly welcome them into the Samson Society, get them to a Samson meeting, hopefully get them planted in a Samson group. But I also take them to an SA meeting and try to get them connected there. If their problem is alcohol, then I'll take them to AA uh, or you know, whatever they're struggling with. Try to get as much help as possible. Uh, I am fortunate that I live in a part of the country that is culturally Christian. Got an awful lot of Christians here. And so there are tons of Christians even in the 12-step world. That's not always the case everywhere. And I certainly have not been, uh, you know, treated as a second-class citizen within the 12-step community because of my Christian faith. If anything, my faith has strengthened and enriched uh, my journey, my 12-step journey, and vice versa. Now, nowadays, I no longer uh, attend that weekly 12-step meeting that was such a lifeline for me. I have found that for me, uh, my Silas relationship, the friendships that I have in Samson, and the maturity of the guys around me, because as Samson gets older and stronger, there are more and more guys who have found their feet in recovery who can offer me good, solid advice um, you know, it's not a bunch of newbies any longer. Uh, so I, I, my advice to this guy would be it depends very much on uh, the quality of recovery of the guys that you're walking with in your Samson group. And uh, if, if it's working, I would say go with it. Uh, but I wouldn't burn any bridges with your 12-step brothers. For one thing, you owe those guys something for all the help they've given you. And even if you don't have a sponsor there, you probably need to be sponsoring. Uh, you need to give back from what's been given to you. And it could well be that you'll hit another rough patch, you know, a hurricane will cross your path just when it seems like everything is warm and sunny and the seas are calm. Another storm will hit, and it'll be good to have all the resources at your disposal that you can possibly muster. So, uh yeah. 
actually yeah. one potential problem, and I don't know if it is or not, so you need to answer this for me, Nate. If you have a sponsor and a stylist, then you're kind of in a position where you can pick and choose, uh, A, just telling part of the story to one or the other that it feels yeah. uncomfortable to, or yeah. taking the answer that you want from the person that's going to give you the answer you want. Is there a yeah. danger in that? Yeah, there's always a danger, and that's one of the reasons why early in recovery, I'd say for the first couple of years, I, I advise against having multiple siluses or multiple sponsors for just that reason. Um, you know, we can tell each guy a part of the story and convince ourselves that, you know, we've been, you know, that, that uh, we're operating under full disclosure when the truth is nobody knows the whole story. Uh, and that can allow our, you know, you know, our inner addict to continue its destructive run. And, you know, as you said so well, Aaron, the other the other danger is that we can shop for the opinion we want between Silas's or between sponsors. Uh, and then uh, because, you know, no two guys are going to give identical advice. Only rarely right. is that going to happen. You know, we can pitch it in both directions and then take the one we want. When really what we need to learn early on is to um, rely less on our own thinking and to allow other people to do some of our thinking for us, to get humble enough to to uh, not just ask advice but take advice, even when that advice doesn't fit uh, 100% with our own instincts. Because our instincts are awry. That's what got us into trouble in the first place. What was your reaction, Newton? Yeah, I know uh, when I was when I first got into recovery, it was through SA, um, and and my my faith was at a point um, where I, I just didn't handle the the agnosticism uh, of twelve step very well. It really it was it was weird to me. Yeah. Uh, now I think that I'm at a point that that I could probably appreciate it more, but I know that I mean for me. I've had better relationships and better luck um, in Samson circles than in uh, twelve step circles. I think primarily, and this is this is just for me, primarily because uh, we aren't in Samson, I guess, addiction specific. Um, right. And so for me, I feel like I've it's given me permission with my Silas to go in other directions that I don't know that I I don't know that I knew how to go. Uh, in that direction with a with a sponsor, um, yeah. but I think I mean kind of like what you guys are saying. Whichever I would pick one, and whichever whichever one is working is is right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Know, which, neither neither is wrong. Whichever. whichever um, actually, that, those two things may not go together. Working and feeling best. I would say yeah. whichever one is is working is is the way to go. Okay. Now, Nate, for those that have never been uh, involved in the 12-step meeting, can you define some of the differences between a stylist and a sponsor? Well, um, yeah. By the way, I do want to make sure we get get Mondo in here real quick because I know he's got to roll off in a few moments. Are you still with us, Uh, Mondo? Apparently he's not. He's got to roll. Okay, so let me answer the question. you know, classically, in classic 12-step recovery in the early days, 
you know, the role of a sponsor actually evolved over time. In the very beginning, the sponsor was the guy who paid your way through detox. Um, and he was the guy who took you through the 12 steps before you could go to your first meeting. That's back in the very early days of AA. Um, and then you were issued a card, and that allowed you to get into the meeting. Nowadays, a sponsor is someone in 12-step, in the 12-step world, is somebody more experienced than you are, somebody who has himself has a sponsor, who's been through the 12 steps, who's been around, has got some solid sobriety, has a has a uh, you know a track record behind him, and he steps in uh, to help you along, uh, to acquaint you with the twelve steps and to guide you through them. He's the guy who you're going to make your first full disclosure to in step one. He's the guy you're going to give your fearless moral inventory to in step four. Uh, he's the guy you're going to talk with every day. And uh, in, 12, in the 12-step world, you're encouraged really to uh, give him a place of authority within your life um, and allow him to, to do your thinking for you and uh, uh, tell you to do stuff. Um, in, uh, in the Samson Society, we say every man uh, needs at least one person to be walking with all the time. Uh, we believe that Christianity is a team sport, not an individual event. We have to follow him together. Uh, each of us has our own team. The lead guy on that team we call a Silas. That's more a role than a person. Over time, it's likely that a number of guys will rotate through that spot. But the Silas is the guy who is current on what's going on in our life. He's the guy we call every day to make ourselves not so much accountable as accessible to give him full access into what's going on behind the screen in our life, what's going on with us emotionally, what's going on with us physically in the world of work. And so we tell him every day what we're feeling, what we're thinking, what we're doing, and what we're thinking of doing. And his role is to be present, um, to ask the questions that we have a tendency to avoid, uh, to remember the things that we're prone to forget, to remind us of who we are, and from time to time to offer us advice. Um, now, the Samson Society is a fairly new organization. We don't have a lot, you know, we, we don't have guys in Samson who've been walking this road for 25 years because we haven't, we ourselves, all of us haven't been on the road that long. Um, and we, we tend to consider uh, the Silas, more or less an older brother, uh, a peer, um, and sometimes a younger brother. It's, it has astonished me to see that sometimes the very uh, the the most productive Silas relationships are are when a guy, an older guy, asks a younger guy to be his Silas. Um, when when you get at the age Nate's out, it's hard to find older men. So so you just kind of force your hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Thank you for that. That's that's um, a kind observation here. Happy birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Well, boys, um, we have stretched out this conversation partly because 
our esteemed, uh, highly devoted, highly capable executive producer, Jay Spiegel, has been working his tail off to reestablish contact today with our um, with our guest, who confirmed with us yesterday. We've been looking forward to our conversation with Shannon Etheridge about her great new book, The Fantasy uh, uh, Fallacy. But something isn't working. We're not able to find her. So, but in the uh, next segment, we are going to give you an important tool that some of you might not know about. So stay tuned because it's going to be worth it. I think okay. Okay. So hang on to your shorts, boys and girls, and we'll be right back. Okay. Well, I'm up and I'm down and I'm all around, but I'm okay if you ask me because we don't really take the time to care like we could. I could trip, I could fall, you won't know it all because your busyness is blinding. We don't really have the time to love like we should and it all. To the way that we love and it always comes back down To the way that we technology. (laughs) 
So it is Toolbox Tuesday on Wednesday. <laughs> Toolbox Tuesday on Wednesday. Okay. It is our chance to give our pirate monk brothers a tool that they might not have. Some of them, if they went to a 48 Hours of Frankness, perhaps got to experience it, but many have not. And it is called the Quaker Clearing Committee. And it is an amazing tool that any group of men can use so effectively to help guide a brother or counsel a brother towards hard decisions. Yes. So, Nate, first tell, tell me a little about the history of this and how you came to bring it into the 48 Hours of Frankness. Yeah, you know, I learned about the Clearing Committee from, uh, from Dave Carlson and Dave Bunker. Uh, who told me that this is a if, this is a practice that really developed uh, with the with the Quakers, who of course have uh, a deep tradition of spirituality, and they believe in uh, what George Fox called the inner light, this guiding presence, this God's uh, the voice of God that's resident within the believer. And uh, and uh, the, the other thing about the Quakers is that they are really anti-authoritarian. They've got. They've managed to put together a church that doesn't have a clergy, and uh, they don't like people telling other people exactly what to do. They want. They want God to kind of play that role. That is. That is amazing to me. They're anti-authoritarian, and yet how many times have mothers said to their children, "You will sit there and finish your oatmeal," (laughs) and they're (laughs) right there staring at you while that happens. That's just crap. I I, I find that ironic. William Penn would be so upset. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, the way it was explained to me, and you know, we tried it in uh, we tried it in Samson, and uh, you know, I forget what the very first clearing committee was, but uh, he- here's how it is: a guy has got he's facing a dilemma, a, a decision, a-, a tough decision, and he doesn't know which way to go. Does he take the promotion or does he pass on it? Does he uh, does he take the job that'll move him out of town, or does he stay in town? Does he leave his wife, move back in with his wife? Uh, how does he handle this news or that news? Um, I I just had one last week with a guy. Do I physically contact a person that? wronged me deeply in my childhood now yeah. that I'm in my 60s or do I just work on forgiveness on my own? Yeah, I got okay. This, uh, one. Yeah. That's a huge question. Okay. Yeah, this is not for uh, do I die, you know, do I buy the Buick or the Toyota? Uh, you know, this is not that kind of a thing. Uh, these are the kind of decisions that a man faces uh, rarely. But uh, but when you know, and, and I think it shows some humility and some maturity in the spiritual walk when we distrust our own instincts enough to know that we need to allow other people to speak into our thinking and to help us clarify uh, what we're feeling, so that we don't make some kind of an impulsive decision. I tend to be an impulsive guy, and uh, this is a good counterbalance. To impulsivity. So the way it works is this. Yeah. You gather a few friends 
who agree to um, serve as your clearing committee. They're going to their function is to help you find clarity. Um, set some time aside. You usually want to set aside at least an hour and a half, uh, maybe a couple of hours. Uh, get into a place where you don't do this in a public place. Find a room. Now, what, what's the minimum number and maximum number you would recommend? Well, uh, you know, that's a, that's a good question. We have done this. <laughs> I remember it going really, really sideways once, Aaron, when we did a public demonstration in front of a couple hundred guys. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that was, that was not, well uh, and I will, you know what, let me, let me address that, because that was yeah. maybe the worst clearing incident ever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> with ensuing threats afterwards. Um and I think because the, the what happened there was what the the person wanted clarity on was not specific. It yeah. was a very general idea about yeah. himself. And so when yeah. somebody wants clarity, that's more of like a counseling slash I want to work through this yeah. over a period of time, not I have a specific question that needs to answer. Right. Yes. And so... It's, that is so important, and I didn't realize it until afterwards and after a lot of thought on what in the world went wrong. Yeah, so, right. Uh, I think that's important for everybody to know. This isn't for general counseling. Yeah, 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 yeah. But right. It, 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 it revolves around a specific decision, right? right? Yes. I have a specific yes. decision to make. So the committee itself, though, your clearing committee, could be maybe minimum of three guys. Yeah, I, yeah. I would say six. minimum up to maybe six, eight guys. Uh, I think yeah, six sounds like a good number for me. Eight, it starts to get a little bit bulky. I've had a lot of success, seen a lot of success in clearing committees of five or six guys. Okay. Um, so you know, we we open in prayer uh, because we're not we're not trusting in our own. You know, merely in our own smarts here, we're asking for the wisdom from above, and we believe in the uh, indwelling spirit. So we ask God to come and uh, and bring the clarity that our brother needs. We ask the brother clearly to define what the decision is that he's being faced with. That's how, I want to make sure we know what the decision is. And now here are the rules. Go ahead. It's okay to to ask him to redefine it and tell the statement is clear as well, right? Because sometimes it's foggy what he's asking for. He might not really have it clear. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and you're not going to get a clear answer to an unclear question. Um, and then uh, here, here's the basic – one of the fundamental rules um, – the guys who are on the committee are not allowed to give any answers. Uh, the answer has got to come to the per, to the man who needs it. Um, and and you know the, one of the the worst crimes you can commit in this setting is to steal another man's epiphany. Uh, and it can be frustrating for those in the committee because those who are there may see the answer may may. May feel it. It may be just as clear as a bell, and uh, you know the guy who's called the called for the committee. You know it may take him a little while to get there, and in your impatience, you may try to 
hint or push or even just blurt it out. That's a mistake. You don't want to steal another man's epiphany. He's got to see it for himself. All that the guys in the You're not allowed to make any statements. Right. You're not allowed to make any statements. All you're allowed to do is ask questions. And the questions need to be, if I remember when we've done it, the questions need to be clarifying questions, not leading questions. Right. Yeah, exactly. So it takes some skill uh, and really some close attention on the part of the guys who agree to serve the committee uh, to do that. And uh, this goes on until it's, until it's done, and it's done when the guy who's called for the committee has his answer. When he says he's done, he's done. When he's got the clarity he needs or all the clarity he thinks he's going to get, and he says, thank you, I'm done, he's done. All That's right, about so it. Give me some examples. If I'm saying uh, I've been struggling with uh, finances and I've got an opportunity, but I have to move my family to do it, my wife really doesn't want to, my kids really don't want to, but it's been such a financial burden to stay in, uh, in Franklin, Tennessee, and yeah. I've got this opportunity in Billings. Right. So what are some questions that you guys would ask that are, are good clearing committee kinds of questions to ask me? Yeah. Hmm. Um, you know, I'd want to ask. I'd, I'd want to ask really some some clarifying questions first of all about uh, what your financial pressure consists of. Uh, you know, it's easy to say, you know, it's bad. Uh, it will help, it will help you, it will help me to hear you say exactly how bad, how much money so do you say, owe. Yeah, I'm, you in, owe I'm in debt, debt $40,000 to credit cards right. and renting a house for, uh, $1,700 a month right now. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I'll probably ask, again, some practical questions about the, the other expenses here in uh, Franklin and uh, the, the other uh, sources of income here in Franklin and how they will compare with expenses and sources of income were you to make a move to Billings, right? So, yeah, so I got a job that's going to pay uh, – $15,000 more a year, and I can rent the same size house for $1,000 a month, so saving yeah. $700 a month on my rent, so I'm making that much more a month on top of right. my increased policy. Yeah. Now, of course, since it is the uh, it's the prejudice of our culture to reduce everything to dollar and cent, dollars and cents and make decisions based solely on money. I'm going to want to push back on that and ask some questions that are not money related, that are about quality of life, about community, about support, about friendship. Um, you know, how big is your circle here in Franklin? Who is supporting you and your family? emotionally, spiritually, socially? What are your prospects and billings? Do you know anybody there? What do you know about, is there, is there a Samson group there uh, or a, 
uh, a fertile field to plant one? Is there a church that you know of? Do you have people you can trust? That kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And I think I would ask also just about you say your wife doesn't want to move. Uh, I would I would maybe want to dig into that some. How much does she not want to move? Is she adamant that she is not moving? Um, what, what, how does it affect your marriage and your relationship with your wife um, if you move? Yeah. If yeah, I would say here's a good question. If your wife were going to explain to us why you shouldn't make the move, what would she say? Uh, that's a great question. Yeah. For, forcing me to be in my wife's heart and right. her voice. That's great. Right. 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 And I'd want to I'd want to do the same thing for kids, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Another. And, go ahead. The two, the two questions that always make me think of Scott Phillips um, and Scott Grissom uh, are the "What do you have to lose and what do you have to gain by making this yeah. decision?" Yeah. Question. Mm. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Just that becomes the quick checklist, pros and cons side. Yeah. To really see, okay, I've got all the financial stuff to gain, but this stuff I have to lose. Yeah. So that, yeah. that's an easy question that fits with almost anything. Yeah. I think I would ask um, a timetable. How long do you have to make a decision? Um, you know, how long will they wait? In this situation, how long will they wait for an answer? Billings, you know, how long can you stay in Franklin before you absolutely have to do something? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, what, what's your breaking point in terms of? Um, yeah yeah that's good so that you so that uh, sometimes we can feel a false sense of urgency that'll rush us foolishly into a decision that we don't need to make when other options better options may open if we'll just hang tough but if well, unless somebody how, asks us a question we might not see it now how do you deal with it if someone in the clearing committee really starts to ask leading questions because it is hard to be on a clearing committee. It is hard to not make statements. It is hard to not steal epiphanies. So what do you do when you start to see a man get off the rails a little bit and start to push man? Well, I think the guys in the, who serve on the committee need to have, need to covenant together, understand that all of us can do that. It's easy. And we don't notice that we're doing it. We're getting there. And we need to give each other the license to hold each other back, to step in, uh, to uh, you know. And and I think if we're humble enough to to allow the other guys on the committee to correct us, that they will also accept correction from us, because we're all doing this for the benefit of the guy who asked for them for the clearing. Right. So we got to we got to set egos aside. The private investigator who was on the committee with me last Thursday banged his gavel once on me and declared leading the witness. Oh, so. did he? Okay. And I can see you, so. I can see you doing that, man. Um, and I, just as I can see me doing that. We're all capable and of I, going. Yeah, and I know that – I mean, I've done it a, a couple of times uh, in, in a 48-hour setting, and we actually had um, – we actually had kind of a – I guess a head questioner or a lead, a lead guy in the clearing committee that uh, would say if someone asked a question that that guy thought was leading, asked the question, and that's a leading question 
come back to something else, find a way to rephrase it. Yeah. Um, we had someone kind of in charge of the committee um, so that it wasn't like, didn't turn into group speak, I guess. Yeah. Uh, he, he was the guy that said, no, that's not the right kind of question. Uh, yeah. And that, that was helpful for us. And there is always a way to rephrase uh, even a leading question so that the man who is doing the work has a chance to process yeah. the whole yeah. thing. And it, and it should rarely be a yes and no kind of question unless you're just clarifying the yeah. statement. Yeah, yeah, right. So is there anything else you would add so that people can uh, have this in their toolbox? Because it is simple, but it's deep and <laughs> complex at a heart level. But the tool itself is simple, and anybody can do it. Yeah. It takes yeah. practice, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot, of, a lot of patience and a lot, and a lot of grace on, on both on both on the part of parties. Yeah. Uh, but, a, but a lot of patience. But it's a, it's a great way for us to demonstrate brotherhood, really to put uh, put feet to this thing we talk so much about. And so there it is, guys. If you've heard about this for the very first time, you may want to bring it back to your group, talk about it with your brothers. Uh, may want to have your friends listen to this piece of the podcast so that everybody clearly understands what the principles are. And the next time somebody in your group is facing a big decision, and looking for some help, you might try the clearing committee. Well, fellas, my, my suggestion is that uh, since we have a little bit of time left, we go to a break and come back and do a quick mini-meeting. Would you be up for a mini-meeting? Sounds good. Let's do it. All righty. We'll be right back then in just a moment on the Pirate Month Podcast. still didn't work, but uh, our, our, our good friend Mo Leverett, I just got uh, got the news he's going to be up here in Franklin this weekend doing a house concert out in Fairview. Be, I hope I get to see him while he's here. We love that, man. All right, I'm going to skip 
most of the uh, reading for the mini-meeting and merely say that we have already reached the sharing portion of our meeting. In sharing, we speak honestly out of our own experience. We tell the truth about ourselves, knowing that our brothers will listen to us in love and will hold whatever we say in strictest confidence. We try to keep our comments brief, especially since the show is coming to a close, taking care to leave plenty of time for others. We address our statements to the group and to the listening audience as a whole, rather than directing them to Aaron. Uh, the suggested topic uh, today is uh, trust. Trust. Go. Uh, I'm Newton. I will hey, Newton. Hey, Newton. Uh, I know, I know that, that footstep on the path, the trusting the body of Christ step, is the hardest. Because uh, for me, it's the one that um, choosing to trust the body of Christ means um, being vulnerable and yeah. opening myself up for rejection, mm-hmm. and and that's that's really hard, and that's that's the step um, that that causes me to call the guy after I've done something stupid instead of before I do something stupid. Yeah, um, it's it's that lack of trust. But man, when I when I do it right. And when I will trust somebody with my heart and with um, the broken parts of me, um, it it works. Um, mm. And I like the way it feels, and it makes me want to do it more. And it makes the phone a little bit lighter to pick up um, the next time I need yeah. to do that. Um, it, it's definitely the hardest practice for me to, to maintain but for me, it's the most rewarding, uh, that, that trust, that trusting process. Um, that's what I think of when I think of trust. I'll stop there. I'm Newton. Thanks, Newton. Thanks. Well, I'm Nate. Um, hey. Like uh, all Samson guys, uh, I came into this life, uh, into this part of my life, not trusting anybody but me. That really... Is the explanation for my isolation was, uh, you know, I felt I had to, I had to meet my own my own needs because nobody else would meet them for me. I had to take care of myself because nobody else would care for me. Uh, even though there was, you know, data to the contrary, I wasn't recognizing the validity of that data, and there was also data to prove my point. There had been people in my life who'd not been trustworthy. I had been hurt, and so. Uh, you know, in self-protection, I retreated into an isolated life where, uh, you know, I all but died. And it is true that to come out of that, we have to begin to trust again. And I'm grateful that God led me to to guys who could be trusted with my story, uh, who wouldn't shame me, uh, who would encourage me, who would tell me the truth, uh, who would be the same uh behind my back as they were to my face. Um, Now, for me, a big part of the challenge now is to become a trustworthy person myself. Because here's the truth. You know, not only didn't I trust people, I was not a very trustworthy person. And we define in the Samson Society the Silas as a trustworthy traveling companion for this stretch of the road. Uh, it's going to be a guy who, uh, when you lean on him, isn't going to duck and run. 
Uh, he has to have enough uh, distance from his own self-centeredness that he can listen to you and recognize your pain and um, and care for you and tell you the truth no matter how uh, your perception of him might change as a result. And I'm still growing, very much growing in that regard. Um, so for me, uh, I try to remember when I take a phone call and when I sit down for a conversation with a guy that here's a guy who really wants to trust, and I can make it easier for him or harder for him depending on how attentive I will be. And uh, so I, I am... I'm trying to be – for me, that meant a number of things. For one thing, it meant scaling down the number of guys who I would agree to serve as a Silas to uh, because I can't be a Silas to everybody. Uh, I'm just going to – I can't listen that much. I can't be that attentive. Um, I can only really do a decent job with a few guys, and even then it's going to take focus on my part. But what I'm building in them is something – that's absolutely crucial to the, their progress and recovery. They're going to have to learn to trust. And for that to happen, I'm going to have to be trustworthy. I'm grateful for the men who are trustworthy and have been trustworthy in my life. There have been a couple times when I've been deeply wounded, i got to say, by guys I trusted who proved not to be trustworthy. Uh, and then that gives me a whole new piece to work with. Uh, rather than go to resentment and unforgiveness, I need to recognize that there is broken and human and fragile as I and uh, not use their failure as an excuse to run back into isolation. That's me. I'm Nate. Thanks, Nate. I'm Aaron. Hey, Aaron. Yeah. Hey, Aaron. I've uh, had some conversation about trust over the last few months because my issues are subtly vulnerability and control, but not in overt ways. Trust mm. really plays into that because I am a very naturally trusting person because I just don't care. I'll trust mm. you with whatever because you try to hurt me. Uh, I've already told people my secrets, and I'll just shrug it off and walk away and say, well, you're not trustworthy, so screw you. Mm. And so that makes it easy to trust people, but in a way, that's just controlling the vulnerability of true trust, and I've seen mm. that. So, so much of my life is about vulnerability management through control. And trust is just a huge part of vulnerability. But yeah. again, figuring out how to be vulnerable, uh, especially when you're wired like me, and all of those controls are so subtle that I can't just throw them out, and they shouldn't be thrown out, but God put them there so that I'm a certain person for a certain reason. Uh, but finding that balance, on, um, okay, how is this trust vulnerable and not just an easy, cheap trust? Yeah. How do I trust in a way that is scary? Because I want it to be scary. The fact that trust is not even slightly scary makes it cheap. Yeah. 
I'm not actually giving you anything that can hurt me. And so I'm not doing the Jonathan version of friendship. Yeah. So trust has been disturbing to me uh, because I always just assumed I was really good at it or gifted to do it. And I have found that I am perhaps not uh, and just kind of uh, wired differently with trust. So I don't have a conclusion for that. I just know it's been a, a tricky journey, and it's just, uh, I don't know, talking about it is part of that journey, I think. So that's all I've got. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. Well, guys, as uh, is very often true in life, this hour did not unfold in the way we planned it to, but it turned out to be pretty <laughs> doggone good anyway. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Glad we've had a time to connect here. And uh, I trust that it has been useful as well to those who've listened live and those who listen to the uploaded version of this podcast. We would love to hear from you, love to hear your reactions, love to hear your questions, your comments. So once again, you could drop us a line at piratemonkradio at gmail.com or at samsonpodcast at gmail.com. And please remember, remember to, uh, if you're listening on iTunes, as thousands of you are, give us a rating there. That helps make us more visible. Like us on Facebook if you get a chance. And, uh, you know, if you feel like tweeting, uh, tweet us at Pirate Monk Radio. We'd love to hear from you. So uh, I think that's it, boys. Until next week, this is Nate Larkin on behalf of Aaron Porter, Mondo Grimes, Newton Dominey, our uh, executive producer, Jay Spiegel. Goodbye until next week from the Pirate Monk Podcast. Give me a career as a buccaneer, it's the life of a pirate for me. Oh, the life of a pirate for me.